0: my guest today is dr leonard sachs dr sachs earned his bachelor's degree in biology from mit and his phd in psychology and his md at the university of pennsylvania at his family practice he has provided care for children and adults in montgomery county for more than 18 years before returning to clinical practice in chester county pennsylvania Dr. Sachs has led workshops and given keynotes, not only all across North America, but also in Australia, Bermuda, England, Germany, Italy, Mexico, New Zealand, Scotland, Spain, and Switzerland. He has written four books for parents, Why Gender Matters, Boys Adrift, Girls on the Edge, and The Collapse of Parenting, a New York Times bestseller. Dr. Sachs has also been a guest on the Today Show, on CNN, Headline News, PBS, Fox News, NPR's Weekend Edition, the BBC, and many more. His essays about a wide range of child and adolescent issues have been published in the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, and many other online outlets, including the New York Times, Psychology Today, and the AAP flagship journal, Pediatrics. But what caught my attention the most was an article Dr. Sachs wrote for the Wall Street Journal in 2013 called, unspecified mental disorder that's crazy i am uh, very excited and feel honored to welcome dr sachs thanks for being here thanks for inviting me my pleasure well i would love to dive right in you have a wealth of knowledge uh which we'll get to but just a very simple question that i always ask what is adhd So, ADHD, formerly known as hyperkinetic
1: reaction of childhood and formerly known as minimal brain dysfunction, uh, is a real neurological condition. It is not common, but it's a genuine impairment. It is a cognitive impairment uh, in which an individual, uh, usually a child, finds it difficult to sustain attention.
0: That's my answer. Got it. Very nice. And in your opinion, is it currently or has it been in the past overdiagnosed?
1: Well, I think we can say with confidence that in the United States, it is greatly overdiagnosed. And what I mean by that is that a great many kids who do not have ADHD right now are diagnosed with ADHD. And the United States is certainly an outlier. Uh, in that domain. So, for example, I wrote a book with a French publisher titled "Pourquoi Les garçons, père, pieds, les fils et léger. And in writing that book with French colleagues, I learned that in all of France, there are fewer than 6,000 kids on medication for ADHD in the entire nation. Uh, which is more than 60 million people. There are more kids on medication for ADHD in Los Angeles alone than there are in all of France. Um, And um, we've got very good numbers from the United Kingdom. Uh, They keep close tabs on who's diagnosed and who's treated and A uh, teenager in the the United States is 14 times more likely to be diagnosed and treated for ADHD than a teenager in the United Kingdom. I present those numbers with the analysis in a chapter of my book, The Collapse of Parenting. Uh, The original title of that book was The Collapse of American Parenting, and the subtitle was Why Most Kids Would Now Be Better Off Raised Outside North America. And although the publisher would not allow that title and non-celebrity authors don't get to choose their titles, the publisher would not allow that title, they allowed most of the content. And so the original manuscript had a chapter showing that kids in the United States are now many, many more times likely to be on medication for psychiatric disorders compared to kids in the UK, Germany, Switzerland, Australia, and New Zealand. And I, I break down the numbers. Uh, Uh, in that chapter, as I said, an American teenager is now 14 times more likely to be on medication for ADHD compared to a British teenager, 40 times, 40 times more likely to be diagnosed with bipolar disorder compared to a German kid, and 93 times more likely to be on medications like Risperdal, Seroquel, Zyprexa compared to a child or teenager in Italy. Uh, 50 years ago, there was no difference between the United States and the UK, Germany, or Italy in the prescribing of psychiatric medication. But the prescribing of psychiatric medication for children and teenagers has exploded in this country uh, to an extent without parallel outside of North America. Canada is fairly close behind. But outside the United States and Canada, uh, the Germans, in, in one of the articles I cite, basically say the Americans don't seem to know how to diagnose psychiatric disorder in kids because they're putting all the kids on medication. So the United States is now an outlier nation,
0: Wow, uh, which is something fairly new. That brings me to two questions. So one is we were talking about overdiagnosis. If we're saying these kids or if you're saying a lot of these kids are misdiagnosed, what do they, and I'm going to use these words very carefully, what do they have, quote-unquote, or what, what else do they have that's not ADHD okay. if they're missing? So, <laughs>
1: this is something I know a lot about because I'm a practicing family doctor. I've been a medical doctor in the United States for 35 years. So let me tell you a typical situation from my own practice. So in the United States, something called Connor Scales, so very popular. Connor Scales is basically a... Uh, a scale where the teacher uh, rates the kid. The kid's not paying attention. Kid is uh, distracted. And they rate him on, on a scale of, of not at all to a lot. And so a parent comes in waving these counter scales from the teachers. And the teachers, all the teachers are saying, this kid's not paying attention. He's, he's, he's not following. He's totally inattentive. And the parent says, hey, he's... Off the charts on the Connor scale, he's clearly not, he clearly has a deficit of attention. So he has attention deficit disorder, right? I'll say, well, not so fast. Uh, Yes, he's not paying attention, but there are many, many reasons why kids don't pay attention. Uh, A child who is anxious will not pay attention, a child who's depressed will not pay attention, a child who's struggling with his parents' divorce, adjustment disorder, has a lot on his mind, may not be paying attention. And a child who is sleep deprived will not pay attention. And in the United States, uh, teenagers in the United States today are getting about 90 minutes less sleep than they were getting 20 years ago. Because in this country, the boys are staying up past midnight firing photon torpedoes at the Klingons, and the girls are staying up past uh, midnight uh, photoshopping their selfies for Instagram. Uh, And they're all sleep deprived. Sleep deprivation mimics ADHD of the inattentive variety perfectly. There is no Connors scale, there is no simple questionnaire that can distinguish whether this kid is inattentive because he truly has ADHD versus he's inattentive because he's sleep deprived. So in the United States, the first intervention by many practitioners, including board certified child and adolescent psychiatrists, in this country and in no other, aside possibly from Canada, uh, the prescribing physician will say, well, let's try Vyvanse and see if it helps. Let's try Adderall and see if it helps. The first intervention is to try a medication. OK, so you put this kid on 20 milligrams of Adderall. He takes his first dose Monday morning, Monday afternoon. The teacher calls mom and says, oh, my gosh, what a difference. I, I had no idea Justin was so sharp. He is he's amazing. The medication prescribed for ADHD, in this case Adderall or Vivance, was amazingly effective. And instantly, the medication was prescribed for ADHD. It was helpful. Therefore, the kid has ADHD, right? Psst, wrong. What is Adderall? What is Vivance? They're amphetamines. They compensate for the sleep deprivation. Uh, so they're amazingly effective, but the appropriate remedy for sleep deprivation is sleep, sleep. not and, Schedule Two stimulants. Right,
0: right, and also aren't these drugs, they're just as effective for someone that doesn't have ADHD, they're gonna yes. do the same thing.
1: Yeah. so indeed, I gave a talk at uh, uh, Harvard University, hosted a conference titled Learning and the Brain, and I was a speaker. And I would love to tell you that my presentation was the buzz at the conference. I talked about uh, male-female differences in learning. My talk was not the buzz of the conference. The buzz of the conference was a talk by Dr. John Gabrielli from MIT, who somehow got permission to give Adderall, very popular medication for ADHD, to give Adderall to normal kids and to withhold medication from kids with severe ADHD, who really had it, the real thing. And he found that Adderall helps normal kids more than it helps kids with ADHD. That's a hugely important finding because for 30 years, uh, and I've, been a practicing physician in this country. So I, I'm telling you from my firsthand experience, for 30 years, the drug companies have been telling us that these medications are somehow specific, that they are beneficial for kids with ADHD in a way that they are not beneficial for kids without ADHD. There was never a shred of evidence to support that claim. And we now know it's just plain false. Dr. Gabrielli's study and others like it shows us these medications help kids without ADHD as much or more than they help kids with ADHD. Okay, so then what's the problem? Uh, Medications like Adderall and Vyvanse really help. Uh, They're not only help kids to concentrate and focus, uh, uh, they're they're mood elevators. They make you happy. Uh, You know, what's not to like? They compensate for the sleep deprivation. Why not just put all the kids on medication on, on Adderall or Vyvanse or similar medication. Well, the problem is we now have 14 different studies showing that these medications damage the motivational center of the brain, the nucleus accumbens, uh, and uh, that it's not immediately apparent. Uh, these kids who've been on these medications for a long time look fine, feel fine, tell you everything's fine, but they are un motivated hence the title of my book the subtitle of my book boys adrift the five factors driving the growing epidemic of unmotivated boys and underachieving young men uh these medications are one of those five factors Hmm.
0: that is good to know yeah i recently spoke with uh, dr Uh, peter bregan and obviously he's he says the same thing, right? There's we haven't even seen no. the long-term effects of this.
1: Well, but Dr. Bregan and I disagree profoundly on many issues. Dr. Bregan yeah. <laughs> uh does not regard ADHD as a real neurologic phenomenon. Sure, uh, sure. There's but, there's not everything that we all agree on, of course. Yeah, so, but uh, yeah. But as a clinician who has worked with kids who truly have ADHD, uh, you can't tell me it's not real. Uh these kids again, they're way overdiagnosed. In this country, there's, it wouldn't be a, a stretch to say that there's 20 boys diagnosed with ADHD for every one kid who has it. And where did I get that number from? I got that number from the fact that 50 years ago, the uh, incidence of what we now call ADHD was about 1% of American boys and much lower than that for girls. It's now 20%. According to the CDC, 20% 20 of American boys have been diagnosed with ADHD. I don't think that 20-fold explosion is real. I think that uh, like most neurologic conditions, like many neurologic conditions, the incidence stays relatively constant over time. It was 1% 50 years ago. I suspect it's about 1% today. But for those 1%, it really matters. And uh, that's why I don't agree with people like dr bragan who say that the correct percentage of kids with adhd is zero i think that is a disservice to the kids who truly have it
0: and and what do you what would you say is the cause for those one percent The the tangible cause for their adhd how would you measure that or well determine adhd that?
1: is a neurologic disorder uh and in neurologic disorders uh sometimes arise um Uh, For cerebral palsy, for example, we can say, well, the cause in this particular child's uh, case was a deficit of oxygen uh, in the birth canal. Uh, That's why this child has cerebral palsy. But for many neurologic disorders, you cannot arrive at a cause. Why does Michael J. Fox, why did Michael J. Fox develop Parkinson's at an early age? Uh, People have speculated, but neither he nor his doctors can answer that question. Uh, for many neurologic disorders, you have it; it's real. Uh, just because we can't say with confidence how Michael J. Fox developed Parkinson's doesn't mean he doesn't have it or that it's not real. Right, he has right. it; it's real. Cause etiology is a separate issue that is often very difficult to. So, is it
0: establish. more? Is it more like in this case, there's certain behaviors, right, that we then call, consider as symptoms, and then they fall under the the definition of that disorder. But the behavior, though, no, comes- no,
1: I'm going to I'm going to stop you there because yeah, yeah, please. Uh, that is uh, that's not accurate. If I can share a slide. Yeah, please. Uh, I want to I want to. Uh, this is a slide from uh, the presentations that I do for uh, uh, psychologists, school counselors, uh, psychiatrists, child psychiatrists. So. The official criteria for ADHD changed in 2013 with the publication of DSM-5. Yeah, you have to be inattentive, but as I stress to professionals, that's the least important criterion in distinguishing whether this kid has ADHD versus something else.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, Onset before age 7 in DSM-4, onset before age 12 in DSM-5, childhood onset is required multiple settings is required A kid who doesn't pay attention at school, but does pay attention on the soccer field does not have ADHD kids who truly have ADHD are impaired in multiple settings, but I found a lot of kids who just hate school. And they don't pay attention in school but they're fine on the soccer field they're fine playing their video games they're fine with their friends mm-hmm. the correct diagnosis there is not adhd the correct diagnosis is a kid who hates school now mm-hmm. hating school is a problem but it is not a psychiatric disorder and it should not be treated with psychiatric medication yeah yep. Uh, significant impairment and most importantly when i meet with other professionals or lead workshops Symptoms not due to another disorder. And this is where American practitioners really have fallen down. Uh, You have to establish that this kid's, yeah, he's not paying attention. We all understand that. Is he anxious? Is he depressed? Are his parents getting divorced? Is he sleep deprived? Is he bored? You have to establish that the impairment is not due to something else. Mm -hmm. And that takes time and I find that American practitioners, whether they're board-certified child psychiatrists or developmental psychologists, in this country, they are not doing the work. They are not doing the thorough evaluation. Instead, they say, "Well, let's try Vyvanse and see if it helps."
0: So that's great. Thanks for for showing me that. Um, and I have a question then. So, as as a layman, right? I'm not a I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a An expert in that sense, I'm a parent doing research, but I um, so if I were to explain it in simple uh, words, what you're saying is so you're you're agreeing there's an overdiagnosis. there's children with with potentially either other uh, issues in life that are being diagnosed with ADHD, but that do not have a disorder and then there's kids that have ADHD in your opinion, around 1%, right, uh, give or take. So would it be fair to say that that uh, those 1% of children were, uh, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, you correct me if I'm wrong, but they were born that way? In essence, there's something off in their brain that they were born that way, or is it? was it an environmental influence that in their early childhood, Uh, I don't think we can say with
1: confidence. Uh, You're raising a question of nature versus nurture. Uh, So to give an example where we have more data and more evidence across nations, uh, schizophrenia has an incidence in the United States of about 1%. Uh, And we have all kinds of evidence that there is some kind of biologic basis for schizophrenia. And yet it is much more common in the United States than it is, for example, in East Asia. Uh, why? Uh, are the East Asians just underdiagnosing it? Is schizophrenia is a pretty major psychiatric disorder. How could they be missing that? And the conclusion that has arisen over the last 40 years a pretty intensive study on this topic for schizophrenia is it's an interaction between nature and nurture. That yes, there may be some biologic predisposition. Uh, But something in the environment has to happen as well um, in order for a kid actually to develop schizophrenia, a young person to develop schizophrenia. And I think we're likely to discover that the same is true of ADHD. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why is the incident the uh, incidence? Is it biological or is there something going on in the environment, endocrine disruptors? Could they be playing a role? Possibly. Uh, I don't think we can say with confidence uh, to what extent ADHD, when it's really there, uh, is it uh, innate, genetic, acquired, some interaction between innate and acquired? Uh, We don't have anything like the research to answer that question, even in schizophrenia, where there's been much more uh, research the jury is still out got it got on, it on to what extent schizophrenia is uh hardwired innate deficit versus
0: something that you acquire great thanks for for explaining it that way um so let's go back a little bit to and this is related to your wall street uh, journal article uh that you wrote um and it's it's around this topic of a unspecified uh mental disorder and I just want to ask then, is it the fact that that there's this overdiagnosis? Is it due to the net, the dragnet being much wider in the DSM 5 than before? No. Uh, so let me explain to everybody, make
1: sure we're all on the same page, uh, what I was talking about in my article for the Wall Street Journal. The DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, is the standard text in American psychiatry. It defines all the different disorders and establishes the criteria for the different disorders. The latest edition, DSM-5, was published in 2013. And the DSM-5 made many changes, uh, one of which was they introduced this new uh, notion of mental disorder unspecified. So with uh, ADHD, in the dsm 4 the previous version, you could have ADHD uh, of the hyperactive variety, you could have ADHD without hyperactivity, just with inattention, or you could have a combined type. But in each of those varieties, those three varieties, hyperactive, inattentive, or combined, you had to meet the five criteria that I just showed. DSM-5 changed the rules and said, we're gonna add a fourth variety of ADHD, ADHD unspecified. And the only absolutely required criterion is that you don't meet all five criteria. In other words, we're gonna loosen up the criteria very substantially so that if someone's close but they don't meet all five criteria, then you can still call them ADHD, just call it ADHD unspecified. And <laughs> wow. the point of my article was to say that this is really a pretty profound change in the rules because it's not just ADHD. It's every psychiatric disorder, including schizophrenia. Uh, there is now schizophrenia unspecified, meaning the, and the only criteria only required criterion, for schizophrenia unspecified, is that you don't meet the criteria for having schizophrenia, which is pretty scary. Yeah. As I point out to the article, it means that you can now go into a psychiatrist's office and walk out with a diagnosis of schizophrenia unspecified, which is a job killer. Uh, I mean, you can't, if you have such a diagnosis, you will never be allowed to fly a plane or direct a preschool. Uh, Because those jobs are going to require you to report, have you ever been diagnosed with a psychiatric disorder, and if so, which, and then you have to say it, and you can say 10 other psychiatrists have disputed that, you're still sunk. Uh, Once that's on your record, uh, you can either fail to disclose it, which is a crime, or you can disclose it and not be hired. So it's a real problem. But Hmm. eight years have passed since that happened. And it is not the case that there has been an explosion in the uh, diagnosis of ADHD as a result of that loosening. There was already, uh, the United States was already an outlier in 2013. I wrote my book, Boys Adrift, uh, 2007, long before uh, this happened, the first edition of Boys Adrift, um, and pointed out then that the United States was an outlier. So although the... uh, change in the DSM-5 raises some real substantial questions about the integrity of American psychiatry, Uh, it is not an explanation for the United States being an outlier among nations. Mm.
0: Yeah. And and let's talk about for for a moment about um, the the parents, right? Uh, You said earlier that uh, usually medication ends up being the first resort. They go straight to let's try this, let's try that. Uh, talk to me about what you've, what you've uh, experienced uh, with parents in your practice. Like, Why do parents so quickly agree to this? Because a, a lot of parents just trust, and they go, okay, let's do it. Uh, what, what's there if we break that down? Well, every family is
1: different, but uh, what very often happens is parents uh, know a neighbor kid who was struggling. And then he went on Vivance, and wow, he was struggling just like my son. And now he's doing great in school. Every parent wants what's best. Every good parent wants what's best for their child. And the neighbor kid had problems very similar to my son. And now he's doing so much better. Went from B's and C's to straight A's. And the parent and the boy say it was because he's started taking Vyvanse. So I want to get some of that for my son. The perfectly reasonable,
0: understandable motivation. So it's really in the, in the realm of, of the, the schoolwork gets done. There's not too much friction at home. Like everybody's happier, uh, quote unquote, right? Well, sure. When a boy is
1: struggling in school, he's not. So you have a boy who's intelligent, who ought to be doing well, but he's getting B's and C's. He's not fulfilling his potential. Any good parent would be concerned, and I think should be concerned. Uh, But in this country, unfortunately, the first intervention to say, well, let's just put him on medication and see if it helps without digging deeper to
0: understand what's going on here. Mm. And and, uh, I just want to bring up something we talked about earlier, uh, which is that nature versus nurture. So um, uh, Gabor Mate, who we talked to about Mm. uh, addiction and trauma, he said that at the root cause of of every or any mental disorder is some form of trauma, right? So not the root cause, but at the root cause is some form of trauma, and of course trauma is is a thousandfold, right? There's what do you say to, yeah. to a well, statement I, like that? I
1: vigorously dispute that. Uh, I don't think that's at all true. Some some psychiatric disorders clearly have a uh, biologic basis. Uh, bipolar disorder, type one bipolar disorder is clearly biological in uh, basis. You treat it with lithium, a very simple element, and they're tremendously better. Uh, and I am I am uh, I'm not at all comfortable with Dr. Gabor Mate's, uh although I like I like a lot of what he's written. Uh, I don't at all agree with that statement that every psychiatric, any state you learn as a test taker that any statement that begins with the sentence every is usually wrong. The claim that every psychiatric disorder has trauma at its source is certainly not true. It's certainly not true of bipolar disorder. I personally have uh, treated individuals who have no history of trauma uh, and they have bipolar disorder. You put them on lithium and they're fine. Uh, It is a neurochemical imbalance which can be treated effectively with an element, namely lithium. Uh, And uh, um, I can tell you, though, having uh, started uh, my doctoral program in psychology 40 years ago, that that notion Uh, is what we would call psychodynamic. Uh, It goes back to the Freudian tradition that uh, people struggling with psychiatric disorder uh, would benefit from some kind of psychoanalysis to unpack the trauma uh, and uh, work through it and talk through it so that they uh, can achieve insight. Uh, That was the uh, psychoanalytic premise of 50 years ago. and there may be a few situations in which that is appropriate, but there are a great many in which it is not. And we, we uh, any psychologist knows the history of the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s when uh, we discovered these medications that were dramatically effective for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, uh, literally uh unlocking people, getting them out of the psychiatric hospital and back into normal life. And the psychoanalysts push back. The Freudian psychoanalysts said, oh, that's wrong. These people have trauma that hasn't been unpacked yet. And that was just wrong. It's, it's simply, and I don't think anyone would defend the Freudian position nowadays because it's been thoroughly debunked. Uh, uh, so again, there may be some uh, there are certainly some psychiatric conditions, obviously post-traumatic stress disorder, where a trauma is at the root. But there are others, like uh, bipolar disorder, where that's clearly not the case. Uh, in schizophrenia, there may be a role of trauma, perhaps, in some individuals. Um uh, As I said, we don't fully understand the causes of schizophrenia, but I would not make a blanket statement about every psychiatric disorder. Some clearly have a more biologic basis, like uh, uh, bipolar disorder. Some clearly have a basis in your lived history, like post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, So, uh, no, I don't agree at all with the statement that every psychiatric disorder has trauma. And, and, and and
0: you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth. It could have been most or, you know, I don't want to say every was the word, but he's definitely... Uh, uh, pointing in any case, I don't being... agree
1: that that's true for ADHD kids yeah. who truly have ADHD are not suffering. Uh, the great majority of them do not have any relevant trauma. If they do, the correct diagnosis is usually not ADHD. There are a lot of kids who aren't paying attention because they're depressed because they're orphans because they've had adverse child experiences, mm-hmm. uh, uh, because they are struggling with adjustment disorder, uh, and they're not paying attention. But again, under DSM criteria, the appropriate diagnosis then is not ADHD. The appropriate diagnosis would be depression. Uh, And the the failure to pay attention is one of the symptoms of the child's underlying depression. Mm -hmm. And indeed, a, a terrible trauma loss of both parents may well be the source of that child's depression. But depression is an affective disorder. It's a disorder of mood. Uh, ADHD is not. ADHD is a cognitive disorder. It's a disorder of your information processing system. It is not an affective disorder. Uh, So, again, I think that uh, uh, responding again to Dr. Gabor Matei's comment, I think it may be true for many affective disorders like depression and anxiety that there is trauma at the root, Mm -hmm. but it is generally not going to be true for cognitive disorders Mm -hmm.
0: uh, like ADHD. Now, talk to me about the word disorder. I personally do not think it's an effective word to, to use, especially on children. Um, I know it's a, a medical term or a call. I don't know the, the, the exact uh, origin of it, whether it's the, the DSM uh, as the origin or um, I just believe in, in labeling children with any word. We'd have to be much more careful than to use what I think society doesn't really see as an empowering word. I couldn't disagree more. Really? <laughs> I
1: absolutely disagree. I want to hear about absolutely. that. Can I say one uh, last thing?
0: Yes. Um, you know, I, I bet if we were to ask 100 people on the street that were single to say, would you ever want to date a disordered person, that the answer probably would be more no than yes. And that is utterly irrelevant to the question at
1: hand, because we're not talking about the way men or women on the street use the term. We're talking about the way physicians use the term. Oh,
0: no, I understand. In order for physicians
1: to communicate intelligibly, uh, we have to use words and we have to understand what the words mean. Uh, So a disorder means that you need some kind of intervention, uh, medical or, or therapeutic or other intervention, in order to achieve your full potential. If you can achieve your full potential without an intervention, then you don't have a disorder. But if you have a condition that's going to require medication or counseling or accommodation in -hmm. order to achieve uh, your full potential, then you have a disorder. And it is useful to
0: understand and categorize those disorders so that we can learn about them and compare notes. Well, for the Uh, physicians, yes. I'm I'm not saying for the physicians, I get it's a shorthand, right? In essence, it's what you... Used to communicate something but in essence when a child hears that because for our son the first reaction was like oh is there something wrong with my brain so obviously he's not hearing a word like if the word was like instead of disorder i'm just making this up if it, the word was challenge or uh, uh, again I, I don't want to name it right now the, I, this is not something i thought through but like i just feel the word itself even though it's a, it's, it's language for physicians or experts, uh, does not leave a, a, an empowering taste in a child's mouth.
1: Well, and not always, but the question is, does the particular child in question truly have this disorder? Uh, look, if sure. a kid has a disorder so that they have only one leg rather than two or no legs at all. And this happens. Um, I don't think that playing games with words is of any value that kid knows that they have a severe impairment and if you uh say well you're mobility challenged rather than saying you're missing two legs i don't think you've accomplished anything for that kid kids who truly have severe adhd know they have a problem and uh there's no harm in working with them mm-hmm. and saying look uh, what can we do in terms of accommodation and medication to help you to achieve your full potential. Despite having this disorder, you can overcome it. My concern is the uh, much more numerous uh, kids in the United States who've been labeled with this disorder, which they do not really have. Mm. And instead of them addressing the underlying issue, they have learned to use medication as a crutch. So instead of getting some self-control and turning off the devices and going to bed at a reasonable hour, they're staying up till two and three in the morning and then popping Vyvanse or Adderall to do well at school and using the excuse of this disorder uh, as a justification for taking this medication. Uh, And I think it's very harmful for these kids because they're now coming to regard medication rather than personal
0: self-control as the key to their salvation. Right, there's a dependency that starts to, yes. to build as well. And what is what kind of future are we looking at if we keep medicating all these kids that don't have ADHD, right, in your opinion, that what, what kind of young adults are we creating in the future? Well, again,
1: this is a major focus of my book, Boy's Drift, uh, where I describe the long-term outcomes of some of these boys from my own practice. Uh, I describe a boy um, so, uh, uh, he comes in to see me, uh, it, 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 it wasn't his idea though, his mom made him come in, she got very upset with him one day and confronted him and said, you know, what's the story, you roll out of bed late every morning, you work a few hours a week at the coffee shop, you're 28 years old, you don't have a life, you don't even have a girlfriend. And he laughed, he said, well, I used to have a girlfriend, then she found out I only work a few hours a week at Starbucks, she dumped me. And mom was like, well, duh, you know, how many women want to be with a young man who's got no ambition beyond earning pocket money for his video games and his pornography? So she insisted he come talk to me, uh, which he was happy to do. I'd seen him uh, many years earlier, for various illnesses. But I had—I was not the prescribing physician for his Ritalin. He was taking Ritalin. This was years ago when Ritalin was very popular. Uh, he was on Ritalin from a psychiatrist from age 9 to age 17. That's the end result. A young man who is not working, not looking for work, and perfectly happy. Uh, so in 2006, there was a movie came out called Failure to Launch, starring Matthew McConaughey. Uh, about a young man who's handsome and funny and friendly and very intelligent, but utterly unmotivated living in his parents' home. And I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post saying, you know, I'm seeing this. this. This movie was an unexpected hit. Number one movie's low budget, but number one in the United States for many weeks. And I said, I'll tell you why it's number one. It's because we all know somebody like this. And we're trying to understand it. This young man who's funny, friendly, intelligent, and totally unmotivated. What's going on? So again, that understanding that was the major f- motivation for me to write my book, Boys Adrift, The Five Factors Driving the Growing Epidemic of Unmotivated Boys and Underachieving Young Men. And these medications are one of the five factors. You end up uh, destroying the nucleus accumbens er, Strike to strike. You end up damaging the nucleus accumbens, the motivational center of the brain. And the result is young men, just like the one I described young men who are happy, funny, friendly, but unmotivated and perfectly content to live their life in their parents' home, playing video games and looking at pornography.
0: So in essence, it's the the uh, opposite of what parents were expecting, right? They were expecting medications going to give them good grades. They're going to get into a great school, uh, eventually graduate, get a great you know position as a CEO somewhere, and they'll be happy and 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 you know have money for the rest of their life. So the parents can kind of relax. Uh, but it sounds like there's an opposite effect to that taking the medication, that the motivation is going to be missing. I mean that's pretty huge.
1: Well, uh, but again, not I would only quarrel with point, your but... use of the word opposite. These medications have a cognitive effect, which is they help you to concentrate and focus. The damage to the underlying uh, uh, motivational center of the brain, uh, most American doctors are not aware of this. Um, and, uh, uh, and they are aware of it overseas, I found, when I speak on this topic in... Uh, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, uh, England, Scotland, Australia, New Zealand. Um, But in the United States, it's rare to find doctors who are aware of these studies showing that these medications damage the motivational center of the brain. And why do you think that is? Why are they not aware of it? Let me tell you a story. So Senator Charles Grassley, uh, at the time, chair of the United States Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, summoned Harvard professor Joseph Biederman to the chambers of the United States Senate Judiciary Committee and said, so, Dr. Biederman, you've been putting pushing Adderall really hard. You have said that if uh, a doctor prescribes Adderall and the parents do not promptly fill and begin administering the medication, you have said those parents should be considered for charges of criminal child neglect. Dr. Biederman uh are you by chance taking any money from the drug companies? <laughs> and he said, well, of course. Uh, uh, Senator Grassi said, could you tell us how much money you have recently taken from the drug companies? He said, I don't know, off the top of my head, maybe three, four hundred thousand. And Senator Grassi said, doctor, Biederman, I want you to go back to your offices at Harvard Medical School and return to this committee under subpoena, if necessary, and tell us exactly how much money you have recently accepted from the drug companies, which you have never publicly disclosed. And Dr. Biederman reported back a few weeks later, the figure that Dr. Biederman uh, provided was $1.6 million. Now, Dr. Biederman broke no law. Any American doctor can accept any amount of money from a drug company, and they don't have to disclose it. Dr. Biederman's action was not illegal, but it was, in my judgment, unethical. He should Mm -hmm. have told us that he was getting much more money from the drug companies than he was getting from Harvard Medical School, that he was functioning as a paid spokesperson for the drug companies, but he didn't. And I have a flyer from Harvard Medical School saying, uh, come to our weekend CME continuing medical education seminar led by the renowned Dr. Biederman, who will go over best practice for evaluation and management of the child with ADHD. No mention of any drug company there. It just says Harvard Medical School. Um, And, you know, to be honest, that's how we physicians in the United States keep up. We go to conferences. And now when I go to a conference, I make sure that there's no one affiliated with drug companies uh, uh, leading a talk. But Uh, Not every doctor uh, is concerned about that. I wrote an article uh, titled Child Psychiatry is Sick with Hidden Conflicts of Interest. Uh, Because, okay, so continuing the story of uh, uh, Senator Grassley, uh, he then had other leaders of uh, child psychiatry come in. And they said, we all do this. We all do this. Uh, Which is very troubling. Here we have the leaders of child psychiatry in the United States saying, uh, senator Grassley said didn't you think you should disclose this and they say no and then he said why not he said well because everyone does it all of the leaders do this now make no mistake your local child psychiatrist isn't getting squat uh and when i've spoken and led workshops for child psychiatrists they're furious when they hear these stories because they feel that dr biederman has sold them out uh uh but uh the leaders of child psychiatry in the united states uh are corrupt. That's the only word you can use for it. They are promoting medications. Now, I am not suggesting for a moment that Dr. Biederman would act any differently if he wasn't paid. Dr. Biederman loves the idea of medicating children, um, and he gets paid very good money to do it. I'm not suggesting that he is corrupted in the sense that he would say anything different if he wasn't getting the money. Right. But the uh, pharmaceutical industry in the United States has great influence. Uh, First of all, they ensure that uh, the leadership uh, gets paid a lot of money to promote their line. Secondly, uh, the united states is one of only two developed countries that allow drug companies to market medication directly to parents so your copy of parents magazine comes shrink wrapped in an ad for Vivance saying hey is your kid not doing well at school talk to your doctor about vyvanse um, uh, that would be unlawful in every other country with the sole exception of new zealand where it doesn't actually happen although it is legal. Hmm. Uh, So we've got a very peculiar situation in this country where the uh, the leading institutions like Harvard and the National Institutes of Mental Health uh, and National Institute of Mental Health are very substantially influenced by drug company money, uh, and the drug companies are allowed to promote medication direct to, to families. Uh, so those are some of the factors that lead
0: to the United States being such an outlier. And would you say that those, those leaders, those experts, they don't know about the effect that you described on the motivational or they know about it, but they just don't talk about it because it's not in the interest of who, who gives them money? You
1: know, I would love to ask Dr. Biederman if he is aware of this research. I can tell you that many leading child psychiatrists are not aware. I spoke at Grace Church School in uh, Manhattan, Lower East Side of Manhattan. uh, And I talked to parents about the dangers of these medications. And a few weeks later, I got an email from a professor of child psychiatry at New York University School of Medicine who said, hey, I heard that you claimed that these medications damage the nucleus accumbens in the brain. She said, I've never heard anything uh, to that effect. Could you please provide me uh, mm. some of the references that you claim uh, show this effect? Which was an astonishing email because any medical doctor knows how to go to uptodate.com or the National Library of Medicine and just type in nucleus accumbens amphetamines and you'd find at least 10 or 12 of those articles in about five minutes she didn't bother to do that she was trying to reprimand me because she was confident that the articles were not there so i sent her back an email saying here's four here's 14 articles showing that these medications damage the nucleus accumbens Mm -hmm. i said may i have your permission to share your name because i think this is a really interesting story Uh, that a professor of child psychiatry at a leading American medical school was so unaware of this Mm -hmm. research, and she said, please don't share my name. Hmm. So I haven't shared her name, Uh, but it is uh, uh, interesting that a professor of child psychiatry not only has never heard of this research, but doubts its existence uh, when she hears a rumor of it, uh, again, that is characteristic of American psychiatrists, that they have never heard of the downside, that the, uh, the child psychiatry establishment is so thoroughly infiltrated by the drug companies that the, uh, the dangers, the, st- the many studies showing the dangers of the medications are unknown to the professors of child psychiatry. Now, I would like to ask Dr. Biederman, is he aware of this research and how does he respond to these many studies now showing that these medications damage the
0: motivational center of the brain. I'm very curious. I don't know what he would say. That's great, and the thing is, what I come across often is this: my scientist is, you know, bigger than your scientist, which is like one study will be here, and they'll say, "Well, there's been a new one," and then there's another one, and a new well, one. Well,
1: in this country, Harvard and the National Institute of Mental Health have great prestige, and I've had reporters say, "Oh, come on, Dr. Sachs, you're a family doctor uh, practicing in Chester County, Pennsylvania." and you're telling us that we should take your word over the word of Professor Joseph Biederman, Director of Research in Pediatric Psychiatry at Harvard Medical School? And I say, uh, yeah, actually, just read the papers. Uh, But Harvard has great prestige in the United States. I can tell you it does not enjoy comparable prestige in Europe, Uh, particularly the Department of Psychiatry. I have had people in Germany, Italy, and Spain and Switzerland tell me that, you know, everyone knows Harvard is in the pocket of the drug companies. Harvard Medical School Mm. is in the pocket of the drug companies. This is widely recognized
0: in Europe, but not at all recognized here in the United States. Hmm. Well, I want to talk about parents, right? So parents, they will hear these buzzwords, for example, and you mentioned that we're not sure, right? Is it genetic? What is like? But parents hear like, the, I'll talk to a lot of parents in my research, and they're like, it's genetic. And I always say, well, it's not genetic, because in the study of epigenetics, and, and you studied biology, right? I talked to uh, Bruce Lipton recently, which is obviously a bit more of an outlier in, in biology, but he clearly uh, pointed out that, that the, the in epigenetics, the, the, the sort of this idea of the, the gene um, can be turned off or on through the influence of the environment, right? But parents don't hear any, any, any of that. They just hear it's genetic. What, what do you say when, when somebody asks you, is it genetic in my family? Is it genetic? Well, I, I think I already answered that question, which is that uh, ADHD
1: uh, clearly has, ADHD when it's real, which is about 1 of the cases diagnosed in this country. But the real phenomenon of ADHD clearly has a biologic basis, uh, which may be in part innate, uh, which means uh, that it may have genetic or epigenetic factors, and certainly in part due to environmental factors as well, uh, which may be toxic factors or developmental factors. Uh, I think we are very far from knowing uh, the... Uh, complex constellation of causes that lead to the real phenomenon of ADHD. ADHD happens. Uh, It's real when it happens. But as I said, it is greatly overdiagnosed in this country, which makes any attempt to figure out what's causing it uh, almost doomed to failure in this country because uh, many of the kids in your study don't really have it. Uh, So uh, the noise is going to uh,
0: outweigh the signal. And what what would you tell parents that, um, I mean, you have families come into your practice and they get a diagnosis or you you essentially, once you end up working with a family that has a child with ADHD, other than medication, what have you seen as the most effective um, if there's not medication involved? You make accommodation in the school. Uh, in the great majority of
1: cases of kids with ADHD, the issue is that they are underperforming in school. And absolutely, a different school uh, that with different approaches. Again, this is a major focus of my book, Boys Adrift. Uh, why did the rate of ADHD uh, increase by 20-fold over the past generation? Well, a big factor was because school changed. And school changed in ways that uh, made school unappealing to many boys, the acceleration of the early elementary curriculum. We now ask five-year-olds to sit still and learn about diphthongs and phonemes, which we did not do in this country 30 years ago. Uh, I I devote a chapter of my book, Boys Adrift, to the changes in education in the United States that had the unintended consequence of disengaging many boys from school. Uh, Look, when I grew up in Ohio, we would throw snowballs at each other on school playgrounds and the teachers would come out to join us. I remember it was students versus teachers. We had a great time. Yeah. Uh, now, if two boys are throwing snowballs at each other on a school playground, a teacher will run out and say, what are you guys doing? You're not allowed to do that here. You got to wait till after school and go off school grounds. Throwing snowballs is strictly prohibited. You know that. Boys doing things that boys have always done. Throwing snowballs, pointing fingers at each other, saying, bang, bang, you're dead. Drawing a picture of a weapon in art class when the teacher says you can draw anything you want. Boys doing things that boys have always done now gets you in trouble. Yeah, that is a major factor driving this growing epidemic of boys who hate school. Uh, and who then get diagnosed with ADHD, but they don't have ADHD. They hate school, which is a real problem. But the first intervention should not be to put them on medication, but to understand what's going on at school. Oh, he hates school. Okay. Yeah. Well, then let's find a different school.
0: And then if they were put on medication, uh, med- medication as a, uh, I think you called it a crutch, or uh, would you say for, the, for those that actually have ADHD, in your opinion, the 1%, they will have to be on medication for the rest of their lives, so or it's kind Certainly of like not. TBD? Okay. No. So
1: again, the before DSM-3, uh, the, the name for this condition was hyperkinetic reaction of childhood. Uh, ADHD, by definition, was a childhood disorder. Uh, and 40 years ago, it was believed that everybody outgrew it. And then beginning about 20 years ago, guess who? Dr. Joseph Biederman at Harvard said, no, kids never outgrow it. They have to be on medication forever. Yep. Uh, And we now know, of course, that he was functioning as a paid spokesperson for the drug companies. But at the time, people were like, wow, Harvard Medical School. Well, then it must be true. And uh, uh, we now have many practitioners uh, who believe that you have to stay on medication. The great majority, uh, the great majority of kids with ADHD can go off medication often in middle school, uh, sometimes in high school, it is very unusual for a child with ADHD to need to stay on the medication into adulthood, most unusual.
0: Mm. Yeah, because I hear this a lot where, you know, it's kind of like it's for life and you got to just keep on it because if you come off it, then you can't focus again. Well, right? that's Dr. Joseph Biederman is, is, is that's the his man work. we have the credit for that. <laughs> and so in your experience then, if you've put, uh, if you have children who are on medication, what would you say is is the shortest amount of time for, for there to okay. be some? Again, I, I hope
1: you'll take a look at my book, Boys Adrift, because the first point I make there Certainly. is if you've tried the accommodation, you've tried all the non-medication interventions, and it's not enough, then there is a role for medication, but it should not be. Adderall, Vyvanse, Ritalin, Concerta, Meditate, Folk and the detrana. Those medications damage the brain. We have other medications that are safe and safer and effective for ADHD. And I discussed them and they are Wellbutrin, uh, Intuniv and Concerta, Mm -hmm. much safer. Uh, They do not damage the nucleus accumbens. Uh, Why are they not widely prescribed in this country? Because they're slow. Let's say I've got two kids who truly have ADHD one kid, the doctor next door starts Adderall. Parents see improvement immediately, the very first day. My patient, I start him on Concerta, 18 milligram. I say, let's touch base again in a month, because it'll take a month. One month later, they say, there's no benefit at all. Okay, I say, well, let's try trade up to 25 milligram. Let's touch base in a month. Another month passes, no benefit at all. Okay, let's go to 40 milligram. well, I'll be lucky if I see them again, because they may say, why should we keep going to Dr. Sachs with this dumb medication that takes months to take effect when we could be on Vyvanse, which works the very first day. Mm -hmm. But I have explained to those parents, yes, I am well aware that Vyvanse and Adderall work faster, but they are dangerous. Concerta is slower, but it is much safer. And when parents understand that, they're, willing to wait the two to three months that you have to titrate in order to get where you want to be.
0: So this is, again, it sounds like a a, a lack of education that, that parents aren't presented with those options. It's lack like of education for way. the
1: doctors. The doctors yeah.
0: are not aware.
1: Again, doctors can practice wisely only if they understand the risks of the medications they're prescribing. But in this country, because the, whole, the pharmaceutical industry has corrupted Uh, the practice of child psychiatry, most of the prescribing physicians are not aware of the risks of the medication. They don't see the downsides. They're
0: literally not aware of it. And so they're not aware of it.
1: As I learned from that NYU professor there. And well, and I've led many workshops for psychiatrists and, and pediatricians. And it is very unusual for a MD in the United States to say, oh, yeah, I already knew about this. Instead, they say, wow. why haven't I heard this before? I've been to four other CME conferences on ADHD. This was never mentioned.
0: Amazing. Um, what else can you I mean, what what can we do? Can this ever be changed? I know this is an idealistic kind of thought or question, but what can be done to change this in the United States? What so you I, to took
1: do? A, I took a five year sabbatical from medical practice from 2008 to 2013, because I was so passionate. I wanted to go out and spread the word. It was a complete waste of time. Uh, And I've learned, look, I cannot change the United States. And I returned to clinical practice uh, eight years ago. Uh, I cannot change the United States, but I can help this family. Mm. So what I say when people ask me that is I have no idea how to change the United States. And I've kind of given up, to be totally honest, but I am very confident about helping this family because Mm -hmm. I've done it. And I can explain to the parents. And if the parent says, you know, uh, so I was doing a presentation for parents and a father said, Dr. Sachs, during question and answer, the father said, Dr. Sachs, I just have a great deal of trouble taking you seriously because you're claiming that these medications, which are widely prescribed in this country, damage the brain? You know, if that were true, wouldn't I have heard this before? And I urge the parent, read the... uh, I I give a 12-page handout. Well, now I post it online. I I, I provide a 12-page handout online with all the different studies showing that these medications damage the nucleus accumbens. There has been no refutation Dr. Biederman has never even acknowledged the existence of these studies, let alone trying to show any shortcomings in them. And they're very diverse. Uh, uh, And they also make perfect sense uh, from a neuroscience point of view. How do these medications work? They mimic the action of dopamine in the brain. Where is the highest concentration of dopamine receptors in the brain? The nucleus accumbens. It is very plausible. In fact, it would be surprising if giving a medication that mimics the action of dopamine did not affect the area of the brain where all the dopamine receptors are. Uh, So it is perfectly plausible from a neuroscience perspective that these medications uh, damage the nucleus accumbens. We have animal studies showing this. We have human studies showing this. Uh, And we have no studies that don't show it. Uh, So again, I, I present this research at substantial length in the revised second edition of my book, Boys Adrift, um, and the problem in the United... Again, people outside the United States know about this and rarely prescribe these medications. That's why the the title of the book I sent to the publisher was The Collapse of American Parenting, Why Most Kids Would Now Be Better Off Raised Outside the United States, uh, because... If we just go by a simple parameter, what's the odds that your kid's going to get diagnosed and treated with a ma- for a major psychiatric disorder? The odds are many times higher if you're in the United States than if you are in Switzerland, Germany, uh, Australia,
0: or New Zealand. You make me wanna move back to Switzerland now. <laughs> For not just for that reason but you know there's there's just a wholesomeness there that's hard to replicate anywhere else in the world has its well, own no
1: now wait just a moment I am yeah. a patriotic American yeah yeah I and there me, are wholesome places in the United States yes yes uh uh and there are corrupt and perverse places in the United States uh, uh, uh as there are in Europe yes absolutely uh, uh, so I don't think that Europe has a uh, Uh, can claim any special virtue uh, in general, but specifically with regard to the diagnosis and treatment of psychiatric disorder in children. The United States has gone off off the deep end. Um, And uh, one reason why my publisher insisted on changing the title, uh, she and I, Lara Heimer, the publisher, had a a frank discussion. She said, Leonard, you're not moving. Uh, You don't really mean this seriously. Uh, you're raising your daughter in the United States. And um, uh, so the title doesn't make any sense. Um, Yes, let's recognize that the United States has some problems, and she allowed me to keep the chapter showing how kids in the United States are many times more likely to be diagnosed and treated with psychiatric disorder than kids elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But let's focus on strategies that we can use here in the United States to prevent our kids from being incorrectly diagnosed and treated rather than in the original book, there's a manuscript, uh, there was a chapter titled, when is the time to leave in which I touted the virtues of New Zealand for English speakers. Um, I do love New Zealand, uh, and it is yeah. free of many of the problems that, uh, we have in this regard. Uh, but you know, they've got their own problems as well. Yeah. Uh uh, so, uh, uh i don't have any advice about how to improve the united states but i can make many recommendations for a particular family on what you can do for your kid
0: yeah so what i'm hearing also this is maybe my adding to it but it's like you know we, we we can't change a whole country but we can start obviously with ourselves and then with in your case a family or someone in our lives and hopefully it'll spread out from there yes Fantastic. Well, this has been a great conversation. I think we've, we've touched upon everything that I wanted to ask you and talk about. And uh, you've added a lot of great uh, uh, content and certainly some of the things I'll be looking up as well. And uh, uh, I really appreciate your time. I really get that, uh, um, you know, that you're passionate about this and you've been at it for a long time. And I thank you for the difference you've made for all the families out there.
1: Well, I hope you'll include a link to my website, LeonardSex.com. Uh Listeners can contact me via the website. Uh, I do try to respond. It may take a couple of days, uh,
0: but uh, I, I try to respond to every email I receive. Absolutely. I'm going to put all that in the show notes, and I, I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. And uh, yeah, thanks again uh, for your time. And this was a great conversation. Thank Very you good. so much. Thanks again.